Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this week's show, we will be talking about Florida opening fall camp, who has impressed, who's surprised, where we think Florida's rotations might fall, and how deep they'll go with those rotations. We'll also get into recruiting a little bit, talk about the commitment of Denzel Aberdeen, the point guard from uh, Dr. Phillips in the Orlando area. We will also discuss the recruitment of Chance Westry, high four-star player who is Gators lean, but we'll visit Auburn the day before his commitment on October 30th. We'll dive into what we think that means, whether that's bad news or good news for the Gators, and much, much more on this week's show as we get closer and closer to Florida kicking off the 21-2022 basketball season. Eric Fossil will join me. We hope you all enjoy the show. Please remember to give us a rating, a heart on Spotify, leave a review for us on Apple. All these things help us obtain sponsorships keep this show going for all of you thank you again for listening enjoy hello and welcome to florida basketball hour i am neil blackman saturday down south joined by eric fawcett gatorcountry.com we're getting back into the swing of things now as florida's uh, season opener is less than a month away eric you getting you getting excited for basketball i'm getting very excited for basketball i mean that would have happened regardless i think you know maybe <laughs> the football team situation uh contributes <laughs> to that um maybe a little bit we don't need to talk about that you've been crushing the, the content on that side um over at Saturday Down South and uh, the Gator Collective. I saw that. So uh, I know you're doing all that, so we don't need to push any more football talk. But, you know, I'd probably be this excited for, for basketball anyways. Um, it just seems like the off seasons are, are always so long, and I'm always just so excited, and uh, it's no different this year. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think just seeing, seeing a Florida team that is so different than the last – couple of years just because they're so much older um just because i think for the first time in three years i'm a little confident a little more confident that they can be a high level team defensively uh which i think you know mike white's best teams wherever he's been have always defended at a very high level um you know and i think as you pointed out the fact that the football team is kind of out of the sec race on october the 2nd uh all these things kind of make me you know jazzed up for for hoops even more than i would be but i'll tell you eric my juices have really started to get flowing in the last week like i'm finally getting you know like my notifications from like espn or the athletic and they're like articles about hoops again um so like i'm not reading any of them but (laughs) yet uh, but I've got like, now I've got like four or five bookmarked that I want to get into. So, so I'm ready. And Florida, uh, is in fall camp before we get into fall camp. did want to mention that, you know, we had recorded a show right before, uh, Alabama weekend and kind of encouraged everybody to enjoy the Alabama game. Obviously that was a lot of fun for a lot of people. Uh, and then Florida gets the commitment of, uh, Denzel Aberdeen on the back end of that um weekend eric so we didn't really get a chance to talk about denzel aberdeen who's who's from orlando um big physical point guard kind of in the little bit of that big 10 mold but maybe also the the kind of nate oats 
uh, style physical guard that, you know, um, helped Alabama win the SEC last year. Yeah, pretty interesting player and pretty interesting take for sure, just because we've kind of seen that a lot of the uh, point guard targets that Florida has offered both, you know, this year and in the last recruiting cycle have been a lot of those, you know, six foot one speedy guards. That was something at this time of the show last year. We were talking about all these quick six foot one guards that that the Gators were recruiting. And it kind of seemed like they were trying to go back to that Chris Chioza or Casey Hill style of point guard that that White likes so much, the smaller, quicker guard that can defend at a high level. Uh, and then you see, of course, Aberdeen, who's six foot four, physical, um, long, and it's really different than the kind of players that that Florida has recruited. And um, also the fact that uh, he's a three star right now. I mean, ESPN has him as a four star, I think. Um, not the preferred recruiting service of this podcast, I would say, but hey, they've got him as a four star and uh, they might have the jump on some of the other services. But, you know, after you get a player who ends up being a five star and Malik Renau, and you kind of thought, oh, maybe Florida's going to kind of keep going for these high level recruits and uh, uh, make some splashes. But I think to take, uh, you know, a, a more local player who's a, a three star right now, not super heralded. And the fact that he's not really in the mold of the point guards that have been offered recently, um, it shows a lot of confidence and it shows that they, they really do like him because they really were looking at kind of one style of point guard and they went into a totally different direction to get a very different style of point guard. So they've got to really, really like him. And uh, I, I'm pretty excited watching his, uh, watching his film, but what, uh, what do you see so far, Neil? I mean, I just you. I see his size. I see size. I see physicality. Uh, it's a little different than Andrew Nimhard. Um, not because I do think he's he's sort of distribution first when I watch him on video, but I don't. But I also think, you know, like his body. Uh, he's a muscular kid. He looks strong, um, and you know, I don't think he's going to back down a ton. I thought when you looked at his his offer list. Uh, you know, the fact that he had a very early Texas tech offer, uh, kind of stood out to me. Um, the fact that Rick Pitino, who's always loved big physical guards <laughs> offered him at Iona, uh, stood out to me. The fact that Porter Moser, uh, who I think we both think is one of the best basketball minds in the country, uh, offered him stood out to me. So I kind of liked his offer list. Um, and unfortunately started watching video after looking at his offer list. So <laughs> I got to say, maybe that, that led me to have a little bias, but you know, I like that. I like the physicality, uh, aspect of it. Florida has done well with smaller guards defensively, but some of those guys had just a quick Casey Hill. Um, and I think, you know, if you're going to play a smaller guard, better be that fast. Uh, in modern basketball, Eric. Yeah, and I think this also, I mean, you kind of mentioned that he's a little bit in the Alabama mold, and I think that that's kind of when you look around the league at the kind of teams that Arkansas is building, the kind of teams that Nate Oates is building at Alabama, um, to see that you play Florida State every year on the schedule. Um, you see a lot of teams that aren't rolling out a lot of six foot and six foot one speedy guards. They're going for bigger, more physical uh, kind of guys. So uh, this does, you know, is this a response to just kind of knowing the teams on the schedule? Uh, maybe. But uh, wh whatever it is, it's uh, it's a player I'm definitely looking forward to. And 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 one thing too is I think if you heard six foot four physical guard 
and he's only a three star. I think some people are probably thinking, oh, like, you know, raw project. But the one thing that really st- uh, kind of st- stuck out at me was the fact that he is a very responsible point guard. Like he was um, he's very safe, um, made a lot of good, smart reads. He didn't turn the ball over a lot. He wasn't loose with his dribble. He wasn't getting himself into trouble. Uh, just played a very responsible and mature game. And I think that's something that obviously the, the staff is going to really like. Uh but again, if so, if you're thinking, oh, Florida got a six foot four, kind of under the radar three star point guard, and if you think you know project, I, I I don't really see it that way. Like I would say that his 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 floor is is pretty high, for being with that size and and that physicality and playing with the maturity he already does. Um, the ceiling, I guess, maybe that'll be the question, um, and maybe that's what keeps him from being a, a high rated player at the moment. Uh, but he's someone who I, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure is going to be able to, to play at a pretty good level here at Florida. And I, I guess the one swing skill for him will, uh, will be the shooting a little bit. I mean, it was, I think he went eight for 10 in the the two games of the summer event. And then right after that, um, Florida offered him. So I think that once they saw him knocking down <laughs> shots, they're like, Hey, we love the defense. We love the maturity with the basketball. If you can knock down shots like that at six, four, like, yeah, you're a Gator. So uh, we'll see. Uh, We'll see that if he, if that shooting's kind of for real or, or what level of shooter he's going to be. But overall, just uh, definitely a take that I'm pretty happy with. Yeah, I mean, uh, somebody asked me uh, on Twitter, and we'll get into Chance Westry in just a second, like what Florida was doing taking a kid like Aberdeen. If, if Chance Westry, there was a good chance that he was going to come to Florida. And, I, you know, one response that I, I kind of made that, I guess it was sort of tongue in cheek, but also just honest. It's like, well, he's good. <laughs> like they're taking him because he's good. The question I have for you, Eric, and this kind of gets into not just, you know, I think Florida's going to sign freshmen. People are going to still sign freshmen. Um, but, but in college basketball now, like take a program doesn't have to be, you know, I guess everybody thinks Virginia, they think Wisconsin, right? When they think of these get old, stay old programs. Um, but Florida under Billy Donovan was a lot that way, Eric. They kind of had these old school approaches to, you know, we're going to retain you. You're going to come. There's going to be an emphasis on development and player retention. Uh, and eventually, you're going to get older and then every team has seniors that they can rely on, whether even if they're a sixth man or a seventh man, there's somebody that's older. That's a part of those teams that, that was essential to them. Um, you know, we've seen it be effective with, with the Gators uh, in the fourth straight elite eights where they always had older players. We saw Virginia finally uh, break through and win the national title uh, doing it like that with, with um, Kyle Guy and, and Ty Jerome, I think. So when we talk about those kinds of programs and you look at a kid like Denzel Aberdeen, who I think Florida's still very likely to take an upperclassman portal point guard for next season, Eric. And understanding it through that lens, you know, is that get old, stay old model kind of tenable? in the current world of college basketball, or do you think you import age? Uh, I I don't, uh, I know some people aren't going to be happy with this answer. And, you know, I don't think I'm happy with this answer necessarily. It's not the college basketball we maybe grew up loving, but Hey, it's uh, it's modern basketball. And I've got to say, I don't think that recruiting players to stay old, 
I, I don't think that's a model that's particularly sustainable. And I think you can look at some of the guys that Florida has gotten recently that were um, guys that were maybe the ones that you'd think, oh, they'd be willing to step aside for a couple of years, maybe redshirt a year, um, and they'll be happy to just be at Florida and getting better, and then they'll play as upperclassmen. Um, those guys are at other programs right now, and I think that that's not – a specific problem to Florida, uh, just looking around the rest of the country. And there's a lot of teams right now. Um, hey, one thing we could have said off the top of the show, and we're talking about how excited we are for college basketball. This is going to be an incredible year for college basketball. There are so many teams that are positioned Agreed. so well, so many tremendous looking rosters right now. And a lot of them are old. And a lot of the reason they're old is because they imported. I like that term you used. I think, you know, importing um, age and experience. That's kind of the the case if you you look around the rosters. So, I, again, I don't want to say um, I don't want to say you you know maybe shouldn't take a, a guy like that. But um, again, I that's part of the reason I think that they think that Aberdeen is going to be able to play right away. Not that I think they're going to start him, but um, I I think that. Well, I mean, I guess they took a junior college you know transfer this year. That's um, definitely on the kind of the project side and took Elijah Kennedy and we'll, we'll see what happens to see what happens to those guys. Maybe they will be Gators for four or five years, but um, I, I think when it comes to recruiting these guys from high school, not that you expect them to, you know, they need to be one and done guys or they need to be able to be your sixth man as a, as a freshman. But uh, yeah, I just, you know, if Florida takes one or two guys every year that they think will go, you know, be four or five year Gators and stay to their upperclassmen. I'm going to guess that more of those guys are gone before they reach that point than they are. And I, I do think that I, I, th I do think you've got to be old in college basketball to be good, but I think that that's going to be achieved through the transfer portal way more than it is going to be uh, through recruiting. Yeah. And I think like when you look at get old, stay old programs, by the way, and, and I'm glad that you answered that way. Cause I think, I think that's kind of my answer too. This is just, it's not a new sport. It's still the same game. Um, but it's definitely a new era of college basketball and, and the portal has changed everything. The ability of players to move has changed everything. And, you know, the, I make two points here. One, when Billy Donovan was building the Florida program, they were always very reliant on transfers to begin with. Like they integrated transfers. It wasn't just get old, stay old, some like old, you know, fairy tale about everybody developed these plucky three stars that made elite eight wasn't it. Um, you know, first of all, Donovan wasn't recruiting a ton of three stars. And second of all, uh, they were bringing in big time transfers consistently. I mean, McDonald's all Americans like Mike Rosario and Vernon Macklin uh, were transferred in. So they were, they were building that way as well. Um, second of all, Oh, you got to get old and stay old. I keep hearing that. Like you, Oh, you, you can't just bring in, you can't just bring in the portal. That's not how the sport should work. I mean, like Virginia, who I brought, I'm just going to use them for an example. But to Wisconsin brought in three guys, Eric. Uh, Virginia had more leave than Florida. Jabri Abdurrahim, gone. Probably the highest rated Virginia has ever signed. Left for Tom Crean because somebody has to play for Georgia. Um, I mean, you know. Uh, Justin McCoy gone and in conference to North Carolina, Jay Huff, Sam Hauser gone, Trey Murphy gone. Um, so it's like get old, stay old. Yeah, I guess. But Virginia, even Virginia is bringing in people. Armand Franklin signed with them. Um, Jaden Gardner, who I know is a player you really like, 
I think. I think you like Jaden Gardner a lot. Uh, yeah, like he's going to shoot 40% from deep in the ACC this year. Uh, probably in that offense, maybe even higher. <laughs> um, so everybody's doing it. Uh, and so when you sign a kid like Denzel Aberdeen, I think you are kind of taking the calculated gamble that he will want to stay around. And I think that's why being from Orlando matters some too. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I know that a lot of people get something you were happy with people are definitely happy with is, is getting someone like Malik Renau from um, in the state um, and yeah, getting another in-state kid from a different part of the state. Uh, that's pretty cool to keep, keep those kids uh, around home. And like you said, maybe, maybe a little bit more um, inclined to, uh, to stick around if, Again, we'll we'll see exactly what happens because, like, does Tyree Appleby come back for a sixth year of college basketball? He could. Um, I have no idea if that's what he wants to do, or we'll see how this year is. Um, but uh, yeah, it could be the case where Florida doesn't, you know, doesn't really have a point guard on the roster, and and he sees a chance to play right away, and maybe he's good enough to play right away. But I, I think what uh, what you said is likely that the Gators go after a uh, a veteran point guard, and uh, in the transfer portal, of which there will be many available. And uh, and then maybe it's uh, it's Aberdeen getting backup minutes and, and playing ten a game. But I think uh, again, even talking about the the kind of transfer portal and and being really old. I mean, that's something we're going to see this year with the Gators first using the transfer portal to get really old. Um, if this season goes really well with those guys, I think that that'll kind of really cement something that I think we all kind of see coming. That's a Florida is going to continue to to go hard in the portal. They've had so much success with it recently. This is another. This is, I guess, the the biggest challenge for it. The the most guys in the most key roles that Florida is bringing in. But uh, I think we're all pretty confident it's it's going to work out. But uh, you know, Neil, you were talking before about how you were getting excited for the season, how your juices were starting to flow, and. You know, I've been someone who's kind of been like tempered in my expectations of, of Florida this year. And I haven't really ever been like super, super over the top optimistic or homery or anything like that. But, you know, I've got to say, the more I look into this team, the more I get into the numbers, um, you know, I'm starting to get really excited, Neil. I've got to say, I, I, I have a rosier outlook of the season than I did in the past. And, and one of the things that I want nice. to talk to you about... One of the things that I wanted to see where, where your head was at, but I, I wrote about this, the Gator country, but I really wonder if, you know, the player that could be the breakout player for Florida that really could make this season, the Gators a lot better than what a lot of people are thinking. We're seeing the preseason polls rolling out right now. And, you know, Florida's not getting a whole lot of respect, maybe fair, maybe not. We'll see. But, you know, I look at Tyree Appleby and he's a player we on the podcast love and, and fans love a lot. Um, but, you know, I was looking at a lot of his advanced numbers and I was kind of looking and, and I was like realizing just again, I, I know we knew this, but it, it just became even more apparent as I was looking at the numbers that what Tyree Appleby was doing with the Gators was very, very different than what he was doing at Cleveland State. And of course, we know at Cleveland State, he was someone who had like 17 or 18 points per game. He was someone who hit 39% of his threes, most of them off the dribble. He was 12th in assist rate in the country. That's incredible, especially because he did not play with good offensive players at Cleveland State. And then he comes to Florida and plays primarily off the ball yes he got some pick and roll opportunities um, but it was often on ball reversals um, against set defenses uh, late in clocks where we did see turnover problems a little bit but you know a lot of we, what we saw was in a really different role than what he did at Cleveland State and from what he did very very well and you know what he had a really good season it wasn't a great season but he did really really well in a role that I don't think he was super equipped to do 
And now we're actually going to see him in the role closest to what he was doing in Cleveland State, where he was one of the best mid-major guards in the country. And I'm kind of thinking, okay, that's what you know Tyree Appleby was doing in his second year of college basketball. Now he's going to be in his fifth year of college basketball. A couple years in a you know in an SEC weight room at Florida Strength and Conditioning Program, good pieces around him. I, I guess Neil, my question is: Do you see a Tyree Appleby kind of breakout happening? Do you think that Tyree Appleby isn't getting talked of uh, enough coming into the season? Just what what are your general Tyree Appleby thoughts? I mean, I think that the thing that kind of stood out to people last year, and maybe that gives people that didn't watch Florida all the time pause is that he would have these games where he was kind of turnover prone and seemed like he would force things. Um, But then I also think like when you saw him on the floor against a really high level Oral Roberts team, right? Like he was capable of controlling a game in March. Um, And I thought Florida was hurt. Um, not significantly just by Anthony DeRuzzi getting in foul trouble, which I think was probably the most impactful thing that happened in the second half of that game. But I also thought that Tyree Appleby being banged up and off the floor for a few minutes was problematic as well for Florida at a time when it seemed like they were going to create the type of separation that really puts a 15 seed into a state of doubt in their head. Um, And so of just kind of, I mean, Florida held the lead, but they didn't really expand it that much with Tyree off the floor, Eric. And that was interesting to me. Um, and, you know, I thought that he also had played a very good game in the first round. So if he's capable of playing good games in the NCAA tournament uh, in March, uh, you know, and learning from what was probably his worst game late in the season, which was the game at Tennessee, um, you know, or did he play that? Maybe I'm. Well, okay. I, you know, I, I was, I was going to back up what, what yes. you were saying a little bit, but just, you, you know, when, when Florida yeah. kind of first really got punched in the mouth last season, we're not counting Florida state did not get punched in the mouth there. The first game they really got punched in the mouth was against Alabama. And the one Gator that was pretty good in that game was Tyree Appleby. Um, and then you, you saw a, another time that they had kind of a disappointing loss is when they lost to Mississippi State. That was where Tyree Appleby had 20 points, 11 for 11 from the free throw line, I think. He was one of their best players. When Florida lost to Arkansas, a game that was pretty deflating that uh, a lot of guys struggled, Tyree Appleby was one of the best Gators on the floor. Um, when, they, uh, when they were playing you know, Tennessee, they lose the first time he had 19 points. And then uh, he, he missed a bunch of, uh, I think he was like, Oh, for six or something from the, from, from two. So I don't think his percentages were pretty good, but he, he got to the free throw line a bunch that, that Tennessee game where they were missing Trey, man. I, I mean, I think he still had double digit points and, and looked pretty good. So, and like you said, then again, too, he played really well against Oral Roberts. So I, I look at a lot of the games where he played well in then, you know, it's the games where he didn't really play well in where, where the games where, you know, Florida got ahead early and, and kind of made, maintained and um it was the games where there was a lot of guys that were you know kind of struggling against high level competition and Tyree Appleby really stepped up so I think it's really interesting to see you know even the first game of the season where Florida was looking pretty rattled against Army uh Tyree Appleby came out and was one of the best Gators so I I also do love seeing that he really came to to step up in some games where some of Florida's other you know quote-unquote I guess we'll, we'll call them better players or uh when some of those guys struggled and, and kind of weren't up to the challenge, Tyree Appleby was. And I think that that, uh, that kind of, that, that matters. 
Yeah, and and I think he had six turnovers against Tennessee in mm-hmm. the in the game in Knoxville, and that's one of the ones where I thought, you know, but but then again, there's no Trey Man, right? So I think maybe you're getting in a situation where he's forcing things because he feels like he really has to carry the basketball team, whereas you know by in the NCAA tournament, when they were getting the contribution from Colin Castleton against Virginia Tech, when they're getting um, a pretty silky game from Trey Mann against both Virginia Tech and Oral Roberts, I think that, you know, it was a little easier on him. And I do think that given what's around him this season, you know, yeah, I mean, I think he was a player who got better all year last year and can only from another year in SEC play. You know, as you mentioned, playing going to be playing in a role that he's a little bit more comfortable with uh this season and playing also around you know i do think florida will have more secondary ball handlers than they've had in, a, in the last couple of years really since Kayvon allen left uh the program where they're gonna have multiple guys that they trust with the basketball i do think tyree appleby will be primarily the person that handles the basketball when he's on the floor but that's fine it doesn't mean that that he has to be that eric what are your thoughts on that Oh yeah, I, I think that those the situations where he turned the ball over a ton, where and you can kind of watch those situations where, when poor when he got into poorly spaced pick and rolls, usually at the end of a shot clock, because um, earlier in the shot clock it was Trey Mann and uh, other teams who were trying to force the ball out of his hands at at all costs, and ended up on Tyre Appleby's hands, and and sometimes yeah, it 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 turned into forcing a turnover um, when Appleby was was you know doing a little bit too much. So f- hopefully he can you know when he's starting things off where Florida's hopefully their entire offense as a whole is going to be a little bit, uh, have a little bit better flow than it did last year. Um, when he's going to have a lot more shooters surrounding him, like it's not going to be as, as, as much as, uh, you know, some of those guys last year that were not as, were not as great off the catch. Um, it should be pretty, you know, for, for, if you were to look at what Tyre Appleby did as a sophomore and said, you know, how do you recreate that and make it better Florida, you say, well, you want him to have someone who we can play the two-man game with, and that's Colin Castleton. Perfect. Someone who has incredible hands, was great on the roll. And then you think about the guys surrounding him, whether it's, you know, whatever combination of uh, of Myron Jones and Brandon McKissick and Kwesi Reeves. And, and you know, those are three guys right there that could very well be 40% plus catch and shoot guys. Lofty claim, but, you know, they'll probably be somewhere in that vicinity, and some of them will be above 40, I bet. So, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty easy to imagine having the space to operate and doing what he did uh, super well and and getting into the paint, drawing fouls. I know that's something Neil that ever since we started the podcast, uh, you've wanted the Gators to to draw more fouls and get easier points at the at the line. Um, Tyree Appleby was uh, was 90th in the entire country in in free throw rate. Um, he drew a ton of fouls, and I think now that he's you know that was him being 90th in the country in in. In, in free throw rate as someone who wasn't even the primary guy with the ball in his hands when he was on the floor. So now that he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more, I think he's going to be probing all the time and, and forcing a lot of, uh, a lot of fouls and, and that'll be a way to get easy points as well. So by the time everyone listens to this podcast, I will have tweeted out uh, a copy of Eric's article. Tyree Appleby could be set for a breakout year from Gator country. And I, I encourage people to read Eric's been churning out. I mean, I'm not, I'm turning out some football content, but Eric's <laughs> doing the important work on the, uh, on the basketball team, Tyree Appleby. Uh, I enjoyed uh, as a official Niles Lane stand. I enjoyed Eric's piece on Niles this week and uh, lots of stuff coming out. So just make sure that you're 
you're following what Eric is doing. And it's interesting that, that Eric brought up um, just the ability of Tyree to, to score against teams, because when I start getting excited about Florida, I then naturally take a step back and go, okay, what do I think could go wrong? And one question that's been eating at me is scoring. Like I know that Myron Jones can score, but I don't really think like, I feel like there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors to, unless he develops some sort of range. And I'm sure this is what he was told uh, during the feedback period. But I mean, it's not like Colin Castleton is posting people up with sick post moves and, and finding buckets. I mean, he's, he's creative and he gets putbacks and things like that. He's like a viciously good uh, player on the block. It's not physical enough in some games to be that. Um, so, you know, and I do wonder like CJ Felder, not really what you think of when you think of a score. I do, like Eric said, I do want Florida to go to the basket and get to the free throw line more. I think free throw rate is an underrated statistic in college basketball. I think, if you can find cheap buckets, that's good. Um, you know, Kentucky under John Calipari, uh, every Final Four team they've had has finished in the top ten in the country in free throw rate. Uh, and you can say what you will about Kentucky getting calls or whatever, but I think a lot of it is just they get fouled, they shoot free throws, they hit about 70 to 75% of them. Uh, the Memphis days are long gone. <laughs> and – uh, they score points that way. Um, I'd like to see that from Florida. Who do you think provides the offense? We know that Myron Jones can make buckets. We know that Tyree Appleby can make buckets. We know Colin Castleton's going to get some buckets. Um, are you worried about it past that? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's definitely the kind of concern, or I guess one of the concerns that I would have if I was uh, – you know, like I said, I'm starting to to get really high on this team. The more I kind of get into get into it, but um, it, it is a little bit of a concern. I think part of that too is like you know, Myron Jones. Yeah, 15 points per game. I've said it once. I well, I've said it many times on the podcast. But uh, uh, you know, he's someone who ran off a lot of creative actions for Penn State and and got a lot of catch and shoot opportunities off screen. Something that we haven't seen in Florida's offense. We will see if it's in the offense this year. But uh, the other thing with Myron Jones is, yeah, I mean, he's a, as streaky of a shooter as it gets. And it's kind of, in my opinion, is all because of his very funky uh, release, which if you haven't seen it yet, you're, you're going to. He shoots the ball, though he's a right-handed shooter from the left side of his head, um, which is, is something that, yeah, he can heat up and he can hit you know, six threes in a row, but there's, you know, he has some of the most crooked misses you are ever going to see. And I love Myron Jones. Again, this is not me trashing the guy who has shown that he makes a lot more, you you know, he, he rounds out to be a 40% three point shooter, but there are literally times where he misses the backboard entirely and, and, and hits the, the foam on the bottom left corner of the, of the, the backboard. So there's going to be times like that. So I, I also look at again, like Flanders Fleming, someone who, has been able to you know create on his own in the past but it's also been a lot of him dribbling guys down into the post from the wing like he's Charles Barkley and that you know works at Charleston Southern but I don't think he's going to get too many of those shots um you know at Florida so uh, again I'm I'm looking at yes we know Tyree Appleby can create one-on-one um we know that whether it's you know gravity off the roll for Colin Castleton or it's 
getting the ball off the offensive glass. Colin Castleton can, can just, he's, he's just has a way of finding points and that's big, but there's, you know, there's a reason that we're high on Kwesi Reeves. And there's a reason we think that while he's not going to start day one, at least we're not predicting based off the, the way white likes to play his, uh, his senior guys or his veteran guys. Uh, I, I think that Kwesi Reeves is, is going to, command minutes and command opportunity. And, and again, it is because I, I, I just see his shot creation and his ability to handle it from the size he is. Uh, I can just see that translating much more than, than maybe what I've seen um, from some of the other guys who, again, I think are going to be really good here. There's, there's no question, but I think that some of them lack a little bit of electricity and there's two guys I think that are really going to bring that electricity. It's Tyree Appleby and it's uh Kwesi Reeves. Yeah, no, I, I would say that, you know, Kowasi, that's what I, I almost come back to Kowasi too when I get real panicky about, you know, man, if there's going to be some night where they just were like, why can't they score? Um, and you know how fun those nights are on Twitter. Uh, and, man, I can't wait for Twitter the first time Ira Jones hits the side of the backboard. Uh, I've also been panicking a little bit about that. Like how, to, how many mute buttons do I need to mm. deploy that night? Um, you know, all the, all the critical questions that you ask yourself when you're ready for college basketball in October, Eric, uh, you know, so all that said, you know, panicking aside, I guess, uh, let's, let's talk about, I mean, so last year, the SEC runner up was Arkansas and three of their top five scorers were transfers. Um, of course, of course, they're Arkansas. And five of their top seven scores were transfers. Uh, and, you know, yeah, I mean, J.D. Note averaged 23 points per 40 minutes, which is silly. But uh, they had a bunch of guys that were kind of in that, like, 10 to 15 per 40. Eric, and maybe that's Florida's formula. Maybe it's, like, there's not an overwhelming score. It's just they've got seven or eight guys they rotate that all can get 10. I do think that's going to be the case, uh, but it's just, you know, those last two minutes aren't entirely the same as the other 38. And uh, there's going to be a time where, where Florida needs to have the best score on the floor if they want to win. And I think that there's going to be times where yeah. like, like, again, like, I don't know if like there was times last year where I think that Florida stole some games because in the last two minutes of game, Trey Mann and Colin Castleton were better than the two best players on the other side of the floor. And I don't know if that's going to happen this year in the SEC. So there's uh, so while we saw games last year where I think the Florida was outplayed but ended up winning, I could actually see there being some of the opposite that is going to cause some frustration, I feel, where I think Florida is going to play a really good basketball game and they're going to lose it because – some another team has better closers and again i'm not this is not me sounding the alarm um i think if florida outplays teams for for most of the game they're going to win more than they're going to lose and i think it's going to round out to florida being a much more responsible team and i think that florida's depth means that we're not going to see some of the droughts that we've seen the last couple of years but i'm just like preparing people that i i do think there's going to be times where F florida plays like 35 minutes of really good basketball should probably have won a game and someone with a better score is is going to steal it and again that's i i honestly you know i'm sure people are going to use that as some fuel against the head coach uh and they they shouldn't i mean yeah yes it is a roster de deficiency or we think it, i should, shouldn't say that 
it may be a roster deficiency. We will see what happens. Maybe there is guys that can that can really make it happen in the in the end of games. But um, it's going to be interesting to see because again, this is just another thing that's just so different than these uh, these last couple of uh, teams where we kind of knew who was getting the ball at the end of games, and you kind of liked who who was running it for Florida at the end of games. Um, to TBD on on this year's team. There it is, and and I don't think we know anything out of fall camp that I would suggest that Florida is going to have much of a, an opinion on who should close. You kind of figure that out as the season goes along. Like I imagine it starts as Tyree Appleby and and the Gators go from there, Eric. One one final note on recruiting Chance Westry, uh, high four-star player, top 40 consensus player, uh, although the recruiting survey on his position – um, <laughs> which shows you basketball recruiting services are just so different. Uh, it's a, it's a different world out there, Eric. Um, but they do have him consensus in the top 40 everywhere. Uh, Chance Westry, uh, plays in Pennsylvania, uh, and, uh, is going to choose, make his decision on t- October 31st. Um, Florida and Auburn uh, remain the favorites. He will visit Auburn with his high school teammate on October 30th. Uh, so I think there are some people who wonder if that means that Bruce Pearl is going to give him the Bruce Pearl treatment and he'll wake up an Auburn tiger. Um, I remain fairly confident that uh, he will attend Florida. Is he a point guard? Is he a small forward? Is he a point forward? Uh, I don't know. I, he, all I know is that I think he can play one through four, which I like. Yeah, I like him a lot. Hey, a, a, a guard who can handle it. Uh, one thing I will say is also funny. Like, again, I, I really like Chance Westry. Don't get me wrong. I really hope he's a Gator. Um, but, I mean, it's just funny to see, like, where he's ranked versus Quasey Reeves because I think Quasey Reeves is, like, a very similar player, but I think Quasey Reeves is better. So, um, again, I love Quasey Reeves. So, if we're getting a player – if the Gators get another player who's similar um, – that would be awesome. I'd love that so much. But again, for, for people who, you know, have continued to hear um, me and Neil talk about how we think that Quasi Reeves is underrated as a recruit. It's like, well, every, everyone seems to be really high on, on chance Westry and it's because he's six foot six and can handle it and shoot it a little bit. And Quasi uh, Reeves is, is taller, can shoot it better. And, you know, maybe has a comparable handle. I guess maybe chance Westry is a little bit better, but, but Hey, those are the players that we love. Those are like to have guards who can play multiple positions and handle the ball just like at six foot six. That's, that's awesome. That's how you win in modern basketball. Um, I really want, you know, I really want Westry to be a cater for that reason. We'll see what happens with Kowasi Reeves. But if, if Reeves is here for another season, um, as a sophomore and um, you're bringing in Chance Westry, um, suddenly you are very skilled and very long on the perimeter, and that's great. So, um, yeah, I guess whatever. We'll call him a combo guard because uh, he does uh, – I wouldn't I wouldn't say he's someone you'd be super confident with as your full-time point guard. But, yeah, definitely when the ball gets reversed and, and he can make some, um, some plays on the second side, um, absolutely show some great flashes as a ball handler. So I'm a big fan of his game would be, uh, I think that would just be a huge ad for the class. I think Florida has a very strong chance of landing him. I've, I've been confident. I think, uh, I'm going to stay confident. And I think some of this is this October 30th return trip to Auburn is his buddy going, Hey man, 
<laughs> and Auburn's recruiting me. Why don't, why don't you come on a trip? And, you know, he's probably like, yeah, why not? Like, it's fine. Um, so that's kind of my take on it. Although, man, you just never know with Sweaty Bruce. You never know what's under the pillow. Um, so um, <laughs> moving on from those not-so-subtle insinuations uh, to fall camp. Gators are underway. They're back at practice. Uh, let's just start with like guys we haven't talked about much. I mentioned your column on Niles Lane. We haven't brought up Jason Jatobo. People I'm talking to really high on the improvements that both those guys have made, but for different reasons. Uh, Jason in shape. Niles confident with the basketball, attacking the 10, um, and then just – lots of consistency on the defensive end as you'd expect from him. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Niles Lane's uh, Instagram account because he's uh, po he's posted some clips of him in practice um, when they're playing like four on four, which is just awesome for a number of reasons. Cause like one to get practice footage nowadays, at least at Florida um, is rare to never happen. <laughs> So, um, so for him to post that is just a look that you're just not going to get anywhere else. Um, and also it's good because it means he's watching film of his, himself at practices. And that's, um, something that I think that players who want to get better, it's one thing to watch game film. It's another thing to be like, Hey, we just had a workout in the beginning of September. Let me go back and watch how I did playing shell drill. So, uh, it shows a lot of maturity as a player, I think for him to even be looking through those clips and finding stuff to post to, to Instagram. But again, it's like you said, it's him going hard to the hoop with a ball in his hands. It's him running pick and roll. Um, Hey, maybe he's someone or the team is someone that sees him, him getting in the mix for some of those backup point guard minutes. Wouldn't that be interesting? So, uh, I, I also think like there's there's been the people, uh, you know, Neil is the ultimate um, Niles Lane stan. We know this. No one can challenge him for that title. But what has been most interesting to me is the people that not not that they were like haters or anything, but there's just been, you know, different people, different sources within the program that have said, yeah, Niles Lane looks awesome. And we think he's going to play a bigger role than than people think. Um, so to get that from some people who like haven't been the ones beating the Niles Lane drum last year, uh, when you get that from like new sources that that's always that's always interesting when you get it from someone who hasn't been on that train earlier. So uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're here and good things about Niles Lane and uh, Neil, you've got to be very happy about that. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I, I just, when kids work as hard as I know Niles works and that was always kind of the rap on him as a recruit and player that he came in off a season where he was injured and he was sick. He had mono, uh, but that when he was healthy, um, that he was a guy that was just a gym rat and you weren't going to outwork him. And those guys kind of, that's what Mike White was as a player at Ole Miss. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of like, that's going to be good. That That's going to be something that meshes with the program DNA. That's what, uh, that's what Darius Nichols was in college. Right. And so, you know, it felt like, it felt like that was going to be a solid fit and to see that come to fruition, I think is big. Uh, but then the flip side of this, because we mentioned Niles Lane Stan, I think I've been one of these guys that has always questioned Jason Jatobo and like, what role is Jason Jatobo playing in the program? And Jason has been the rare kid that hasn't hit the portal, despite not playing a ton of basketball. Um, you know, do you have thoughts on on the folks talking about the camp he's having and, and that it's been so positive? Yeah, I mean, hearing he's playing well, hearing he looks good, um, 
I'm, uh, I still just kind of struggle to see where I think he fits in. And part of that's because I think CJ Felder is so good. So I, it's, it's still a competition for, for, for minutes, I think for him. And, um, we'll see exactly if it's kind of his size and his ability to seal guys down low and, and finish um, whether that's something that ends up being more valuable than CJ Felder's ability to switch more and, and, and um, rebound out of his area due to a little more foot speed. Uh, it, I, that, that'll be honestly one of the interesting kind of like, like, I mean, we're going to be very interested to see who starts the the first game of the year against Elon. Uh, we're also going to be very interested to see who's, you know, the first, what what happens when when Colin Castle goes off the floor? What Florida does, uh, but I, I guess we'll see with with Jatobo. I mean, we we've he's he's been in shape before and he's gotten out of shape and then he's gotten in shape and gotten out of shape. And again, a lot of that has been not his fault and and injuries have not helped helped that out at all. And a pandemic didn't help that at all. But uh, I, I I guess we'll we'll see with him. I think it's great that you pointed out that he's someone who has stuck around. Um, and not hit the portal, and it would have been really easy for him to have done that. Um, uh, I had a uh, had a coach reach out to me and uh, said that he was already trying to get at Jason Jatobo um, before he was, you know, well, he ultimately was never in the portal, but said, "Hey, can you get me in touch with Jason Jatobo? I essentially want to start recruiting him, even though it wasn't the portal." I did not pass along any information for the record. Um, he was on his own, um, but uh, he apparently, you know, apparently his uh, his his efforts were in vain because he's still a Gator. So so anyways, I mean, there was coaches that were like, oh, he's for sure going to be in the portal and now he's not. So, man, I would love to have him be a guy who goes out and hedges and his shoulders are like six feet apart. So that those hedges are incredibly wide and it's um, something that makes Florida tough to go against and screen and roll. I would love if he was just a monster on the offensive glass. I would love if he just sealed guys and caught everything and was able to finish it. Um, but yeah, we'll just, we'll see if he can stay healthy and we'll, we'll see if he can, uh, we'll see if he can defend. I, I, I still find it a little tough to imagine how he's going to have a big role because I just would put CJ Felder ahead of him in, uh, in backup center minutes. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a, that'll be, a, that'll be a challenge, but I'm, I'm rooting for him. Transfers, because I think, you know, the social media is playing up the transfers. The, the fan base is now getting excited about the transfers. I think Chris Harry has just decided all he's going to do in the preseason is write articles about transfers. Um, you know, no, sh- shout out to Chris. It's, it's, I'm, I'm enjoying the work, especially thought the piece on uh, McKissick was great. Uh, but l- let's talk about that. Let's, you know, any, any shift from Eric Fawcett as to the transfer you're now most excited about. Um, you know, there's a lot of stories going out about McKissick kind of being a team leader and maybe an alpha dog. Um, I still think his defensively, it's going to be an adjustment for him in the SEC. Uh, you know, any thoughts on on that? Because we've we've had conversations. I know you and I have both talked to people, um, whether it's inside the program, outside the program, and you almost always get a different answer from everybody. Like this guy's <laughs> going to make a huge difference. I'm rolling. Like I'm still. You know me. I'm still rolling with what Leonard Hamilton told me, which is that. CJ Felder is just different, but what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough to nail down who I'd be most excited for. Um, I mean, the one thing I will say is with with the stuff that Chris Harry's been putting out, I think it really confirms the 
suspicion that you and me have. And that's just that Mike White is just going to be an absolute love with Brandon McKissick as a player, as an undersized guard who can really defend. So, you know, I think we were kind of saying, oh, we think that the best five does not include McKissick and would more be Myron Jones and Kwesi Reeves. And, but the five we think that's going to be White's favorite is going to include McKissick and maybe not Reeves right away. So I think that's just kind of some of the pieces so far have, have kind of confirmed that. I, I think I'm with you with the guy that I'm most excited for being CJ Felder. And I think it's because he just is a guy that, that Florida has not had at all. Like someone who really can play the four with as like a true kind of power forward. Like I really don't want Florida to just get pounded on the defensive glass again this year. And I think that CJ Felder is someone who could really change that. Um, I really like his ability to switch out and, and, and compete on the perimeter. Um, again, Florida hasn't really had those guys like, yes, they've had some good centers, some good post players, but not guys that you were just like that. You were switching them on to opposing guards and they were locking down the perimeter. I think that that could be CJ Felder. Um, We'll see with the jump shot that I guess the, the biggest kind of swing point for him, whether he's able to hit threes or not. Um, definitely many of us skeptical um, for good reason. I would say looking at his percentages at Boston college. But again, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but like, again, you can just see how it's, it's pretty easy to look at Byron Jones and, and kind of say, oh, he's going to be used differently in Florida. So there's questions about how that's going to translate. It's very easy to look at Flanders Fleming and say, you know, look what he did at Charleston Southern. Look at the SEC. There's questions about how it's going to translate. Look at Brandon McKissick and what he did at UMKC. There's definitely, could you could have questions about how it's going to translate. There's nothing that CJ Felder does that you have to have questions about how it's going to translate because it, it was so much based on effort and athleticism and it was against really good competition in the ACC and it was frankly without a lot of good players around him so you, you know he's not you, you know he's still the same athlete if not better um you know he's still the same worker if not more you know he's just still as strong physically if not more so there there there's just zero questions about how CJ Felder is going to translate there is questions about the other transfers i just don't think you can have questions about how how CJ Felder is going to transfer. You can, uh, I guess you can, you can debate what is CJ Felder's ceiling. That's totally fair. But I think his floor is just obviously someone who is a high major level starter. And uh, that's someone who I'm excited for whenever you can just get proven um, high major guys, um, especially in a role that just Florida hasn't been able to fill the last couple of years. Pretty easy to get excited. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sticking with Felder. I do think that Myron Jones uh, is another guy who's proven. Um, but to Eric's point, there are questions about because it's about fit, right? It's about how do you get a guy like that shots? And Penn State had a certain way of doing it, predominantly running him off screens. Florida hasn't done a ton of that. Um, let's see if that's something that Florida does because they have a guy that can shoot like Myron Jones now, a little different player than, than Noah Locke. How does Myron Jones react to the get the rebound and sprint to a corner of the floor triple that, that we saw from Noah Locke so often in countless number of Florida Auburn where Noah Locke seemed to just rain triples from the corner against Bruce. Sweaty Bruce. Oh, like, you know, I don't know if, if that's Myron's game necessarily, Eric. So, but still even questions with him. And, and he was probably on one of the best teams in the Big Ten 
in the pandemic year. And, and then last year they, they weren't quite as good, but he was still pretty steady at 15 and a half a game in the best conference in the country, at least in the regular season, no disrespect to the PAC 12. We know y'all ran, we know y'all ran March, the conference of champions. Because um, <laughs> March madness is, it's so weird. It's as weird as Bill Walton sometimes. Um, no, nothing. It's as weird. As Bill um, but yeah. So what else out of fall camp? Anything else that you think is like, hey, man, I know I needed to share this with the, the viewers on the podcast, the listeners. No, I don't. I don't really think so. I mean, I know they had a scrimmage the other day that I wish we were able to see. You know, that's that's one thing I, I've, I've got to say, man, it's it's just killing me a little bit to see all these other teams that that are streaming their scrimmages. Um, Florida's was was not, of course. Um, you know, maybe, maybe next year, um, I would love for, uh, love for that to happen. So, you know, I could put out my, put out yeah. my plea. Well, I, I understand the reasons behind not doing that, but, uh, uh, man, wouldn't that be great? So, uh, but in terms of actually, you know, what's going on there, you know, I, unfortunately I didn't really get to hear anything about what really went down in that scrimmage. And, uh, I, I don't really have anything more to add. I think we've kind of covered, covered most of the, most of those, most of the things that, that I've been hearing. And, uh, uh, I've got to say like, or like I said earlier in the podcast, it's, it's stuff that has me, has me pretty excited. I, and I want to be kind of clear about that, even as, as I'm talking about, Hey, I've got questions about how these, some of these, how some of these transfers are going to translate. Um, I'm, I'm still very excited and I think I am higher on the team now than I, uh, or than I was a month ago, just the more I kind of get into the preseason stuff and, and, um, the more I think about things, I've, I've got to say I'm, I'm I'm getting more and more optimistic. Maybe that's the fan in me or the the homer in me or whatever. But hey, I've got plenty of stats to back it up too. So uh, that's that's kind of where where fall camp has me. Yeah, no, I mean I'm I'm optimistic. I haven't picked Florida to beat Florida State yet, but um, you know if you've listened to the podcast, you know that uh, between the two of us, we have picked Florida to beat Florida State one time. Uh, it was Eric Fawcett in the first year of the show. Uh, since then, we have universally said, yeah, the Gators are going to play hard. And, it's gonna be <laughs> um, and, and I'm, I'm like leaning towards a win next month. Um, so there is some optimism and there's a bunch of reasons for that. As I start looking at the schedule and thinking about these teams, but that's just one example of, of how, you know, I too am, I'm getting optimistic just based on reports and based on the intriguing idea of, of a, having a veteran squad and also depth, which I guess is where we can close this show. And I know this is kind of putting Eric on the spot and, and somebody that's as good with data uh, as Eric is. The thing about being good with data is you have to study it a lot. And so when you put somebody that's really good with data on the spot and they're like, <laughs> oh, man, I haven't looked at all this, but here's what we know. Right. Um, we know that teams that use huge rotations traditionally it's limiting, like the effectiveness of it is limiting it. It doesn't necessarily translate into championships. It's good to have depth, but that doesn't mean you play 10, 11 guys. Now Florida state does it and it's very successful. Um, you know, Louisville under Rick Pitino did it and it was very successful. I saw Iona ran 10 guys out in the NCAA tournament. Now they got blown off the floor, but, you know, mad respect to Rick for <laughs> keeping it up with the Gales. Uh, how There's a chance, I think, that Florida plays nine at least, which is a lot. Um, 
Any thoughts on that? Like any thoughts on expanding the rotation? Mike has always really shortened his bench, except for the Elite Eight season by March. So that would be definitely a kind of departure as well, Eric. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I, I mean, I guess going to be maybe rude, Sorry, but I mean, spot. no, no problem. I mean, but this, this might be a little bit rude, but I mean, just some of these players at the end of the bench just really haven't been good enough to command minutes. So I don't even know if this is as much like a, a Mike white thing that he likes to shrink his bench as much as uh, um, he just hasn't had the horses these last couple of years to, to yeah. really do that. Yeah. So, and again, like we were, so, we, you know, we thought Niles Lane should have played more last year, but I mean, that was about it going back to the last couple of years. There hasn't really been, guys that you and me are like hey like can we uh can we uh get get these guys on the bench a little bit more like really it's been kind of the the best players have won out uh if you actually look at mike white's time back at uh back at louisiana tech um especially kind of his last year before he came to florida um i think that they were like like they had a really tight rotation and didn't go deep into the bench and um i think and again it's i think when you see teams that are really good a lot of times it's because yeah they're you know their top seven guys are, are awesome so I kind of think that with Florida as much as their depth is great and I think they might win a couple games earlier in the season because they have a ninth or tenth guy come off the bench and be awesome and, and steal them a game I think when push comes to shove it's it's kind of basketball and these games in the in postseason and deep in SEC play are going to come down to like your seven or eight best guys so I think that for for Florida this year it's for, for some of these guys, again, that are that are in that role of like the eighth, ninth, tenth guy on the bench, it's going to little be a bit of like, can you be a change of pace guy? Can you be um, like a like a, a gadget player, for lack of a better term? Like again, like a Jason Jatobo, who's just such a different matchup than anyone on the floor. And and those are the players that, yeah, maybe for three games they don't have an impact, but then in that fourth game they 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 make a huge kind of splash on a game and and like the reason that florida state can go so deep is because they have redundancy in their lineup like they've got guys who play a very similar role so it's really easy for yeah. them to cycle through because they don't have the center that's six foot seven and 300 pounds and uh and a kind of active guy and then they've got the seven foot shot blocker and then they've got the six foot nine guy who's a stretch pick it's like no they have shot blockers they've got rim protection rim protectors they've got rim runners like they're all the same guys so you roll through them and you look at their wings and they've got okay you play defense at a high level and you run to the corners and shoot threes that's all you do then because they recruit to that they've got all these guys that are synonymous and and can be psychic through so i think the teams that truly go deep are because they have roster redundancy and that's not what florida has they have a lot of good players but they don't have guys that are really good in the same role so i, I again that's for for teams that really are going to go deep i think you need redundancy and you need guys that are kind of thrive in, in very similar roles but i don't think florida wants to be changing their style of play so much because they're cycling through all those kinds of guys and i think for florida if they were to go 10 deep or whatever it, there, there'd be two things that would happen. It would be one, they'd be changing their style of play based on who's on the floor. That could work. That could also cause some things to be pretty hectic and, and scrambled and a pretty high cognitive load. Um, they would do that. Or two, they would try to play the same style with 10 different players that have varying skill sets and that wouldn't work either. So yeah, I, I wish I could say, yeah, we're going to see all these guys that are depth pieces and they're going to be awesome. Cause we like a lot of those guys that are in the eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th spot. But uh, you know, I really think when it comes down to it, this, this is going to be a seven or eight man rotation. 
Yeah, I, I actually do think it ends up being seven or eight. I, I do think it probably gets to eight, Eric. Um, but I think I think you're spot on, and we're kind of seeing eye to eye on this. You, you know, like look, um, I mean, shoot, Gonzaga is a great example of the point you just made because it's not replicated roles um, usually with the roster that Mark Few has, and he usually settles on seven, sometimes eight. Uh, they were eight last. They were seven last year. Um, they were seven. The other Final Four appearance. Uh, with Rui Hachimura getting five minutes a game on that team because, you know, we don't need to play that guy. Um, so it's sort of a way of, of you know, just approaching things. Some some people, Mike Krzyzewski's always been committed to a smaller bench, but again, there's less of that replication of, of roles that you have at Florida State and Duke's system. So some of it is system-based too. Um we don't necessarily know what Florida's offensive system is going to look like uh, yet. Uh, we will see. Um, but I think, you know, I do think you're looking at probably eight this year just because of the depth that they've put together. And really the question is, like, who wins those battles uh, in the bye games for that spot eight and spot nine, Eric? Yeah, that's that's really going to be it. And just kind of as you were talking, I was looking at I, I realized I should have really checked just to, to make sure. And um, just looking at Ken Palm, um, just the, the best teams kind of won down here on Ken Palm. So Gonzaga was 311th in the country last year in bench minutes. Um, Baylor was um, 234th in the country in bench minutes. Michigan was 303rd in Ken Palm in bench minutes. Um, Illinois was 249th, Houston was 209th, USC, shockingly the sixth best team in Ken Palm last year, 232nd, um, Iowa, 175th. Um, you know, the, you just see a lot of the like all the best teams in college basketball last year, uh, didn't go deep. Um, and I, yeah, again, something we talk about on the podcast all the time, something I write about all the time at Gator Country is like, if you want to. Get if you want to reach your goals, look at what the teams that are already there are doing. And if you look at the best teams in college basketball, yeah, they're they're not teams that go deep in their deep in their bench. It's guys that have you know teams that have two or three guys that are really good off coming off the bench. So for that reason, um, yeah, I just I just have to be on the side of I I guess maybe it's maybe it's hopeful or but I do think it's also just the fact of the matter that I think that there's going to be seven or eight guys that um, differentiate themselves. And those are the guys that white's going to be kind of rocking with. Yeah, no, I mean, I, that's the point. I mean, I, I put you on the spot a little bit, but I do think, uh, <laughs> you know, the FSU situation is very much an anomaly for teams that are highly successful in college basketball. And a lot of it is because FSU just has a certain way of playing. Also, by the way, that's why they're really hard to play against, Eric, because that's unique and you're not used to that. So every time you play them, it's uncomfortable. Um, but plenty of time to discuss about yeah. how it's uncomfortable to play against Leonard Hamilton's Florida State team. As if anyone didn't know already. I mean, ask Mike White, who calls Leonard Hamilton father, right? Um, no, that's that's a little that's a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> boo. I'm going to get booed off the show, but uh, we'll let Eric say goodbye the way he wanted to say goodbye. Um, because, you know, we didn't get a Keontae Johnson shout out in this, but I did love seeing Keontae on uh pitcher day 
uh, doing his dance. And it was cool to see him. They had an event last weekend, uh, like a meet and greet um, with the team, which in classic Florida basketball fashion, like they did not market at all or tell anyone about. Uh, they just kind of stood outside and people came up to them. And it was cool seeing Keontae picking up kids and letting them dunk and stuff. Uh, so um, the master at attacking closeouts will let Eric say goodnight. <laughs> yeah, um, on uh, on that note of things not being announced, um, just noticed the other day that Florida has a scrimmage scheduled for uh, uh, November 1st with Embry-Riddle. I'm not sure which uh, did, what level they play at, but um, I'm definitely going to look it up before uh, before the next podcast. But uh, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, unfortunately, some of these things not being marketed is, uh, yeah, it's something we've, we've come to uh come to know this last couple of years but that's all right we love florida basketball all the same so uh go gators and keep attacking closeouts